before I bring Julia up, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about her. Julia is the teaching pastor at Thornapple Covenant Church. Uh, we're a church plant. We're not even a year old yet. Some of you don't even know we're part of a denomination called the Evangelical Covenant. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful family of churches. LaRonda and I and Julia last week were all in Jacksonville, uh, well, two weeks ago, for uh, uh, the, the national conference called Midwinter. And uh, Julia and her family just moved to Grand Rapids relatively recently from Canada. So big move for them, big faith move. And they, uh, Julia is serving as teaching pastor at Thornapple Covenant, which is right here in Grand Rapids. It's over on Cascade Road. And uh, we're just thrilled to have her come and get to preach today here at Mosaic and here, and for, for her to get a chance to see what we're up to here in the gymnasium uh, and, and just thrilled for that. Julia also does spiritual direction. And um, we want to invite you, if you are interested in spiritual direction, and if you don't know what that is, uh, listen up. You might be interested in it. Uh, spiritual direction, it's, it's uh, I go to a spiritual director, and uh, the definition of spiritual direction is not like counseling or life coaching, but that might be a context you might think of, talking one-on-one -on -one with another person. Um, but a spiritual director, spiritual direction, uh, you, you sit down, in this case it would be with Julia, and she's going to help you reflect on your current experience with God and asking questions about your current experience with God and seeing where God's foot, uh, uh, fingerprints, maybe footprints too, uh, where his, his fingerprints are on your life and ways that he is moving. And uh, it's a prayerful conversation between you and your director. And I love spiritual direction. It's wonderful. Um, there is a small fee that goes along with it. It's, it will be 10 to $20 uh, to meet with Julia and that helps as well, gives you some skin in the game, and it's a wonderful uh, relationship that you can have with your spiritual director. So if you're interested in that, uh, let us know on your connection card that you'd like to just connect with Julia, or you can talk to her uh, today, and I'll send an email out with this, with this information as well. Um, so, uh, oh, I would say without further ado, but there is more ado, I'm going to read uh, Julia's text today. I'm going to be the uh, the... Uh, she asked that someone else read the text because she's going to walk us through it uh, in a little bit imaginatively. So will you read with me uh, Luke 5, 1 through 11, and we'll have it up here on the screen, uh, and then uh, I'll bring Julia up uh, to deliver the rest of the word. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesseret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up 
on shore, left everything and followed him. Julia, could you come up and I'll pray for you and um, pray for us as we prepare to, uh, to hear what God has put on your heart. Lord, I thank you so much for Julia that she could be here today uh, and, and that we get to be here today. And I pray you would speak through her and help us to have open hearts to what you have to say uh, to us. Thank you for your word that we just got to listen to. Thank you for the Bible that can lead us and guide us. And we pray you just be with us now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks. Oh, good morning. It's so good to be here with you. Um, yes, as Noah said, I am new to Michigan after it's been just about four months that my family and I have lived here, uh, coming from Manitoba. So when it's been cold here in this past week, just know there are places in the world that are a lot colder. Um, I, I know that and live that. Uh, thank you. Um, I want to greet you from Thornapple Covenant Church. We're on the other side of Grand Rapids, totally understandable. If you've never heard of us, that makes sense. Um, but we are sister church, and we are rooting for you, Mosaic, uh, and are excited about what God is doing in you, through you, here in this place. Uh, every church starts out as a church plant. So 43 years ago, Thornapple Covenant Church started out as a church plant. And now it's an established church, and it's got all the problems that come with that. So, you know, it's uh, you're laughing because you know. This is a superintendent's spouse over here. She knows all kinds of things. It's good to see you, Nancy. Um, and I just want to give you a word of encouragement. So my, uh, the church that I came from in Manitoba was a church plant. So we had been going for 10 years. So my husband and I, we got married in 2012. A few months later, we were part of the launch of a Holy Community Covenant Church in Manitoba. And it comes with a lot of really wonderful, wonderful gifts. It comes with a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges. Um, but I can tell you after 10 years, it is worth it. It is worth it because you see the work that God does in such a, a remarkable way uh, that is special, I think, as a church plant. So I want to start off this morning with a little exercise for our imaginations. Whew, the fan here. I'll have to have my Bible hold. There we go. Um, so Noah read the text for us uh, from the, the scriptures, but I want to do an imaginative reading of the text. I think sometimes we come to the word and we read it and it all feels very serious. It's the Bible, should be respected for sure, it's sacred. Um, but we can also use our imaginations to picture what did it smell like? What did it sound like? What did it feel like to be there? So I'm going to read it again for you, and I want you to imagine yourself in this space. Imagine a picture, what's going on as we hear this story. So it'll be a bit of a paraphrase. Pay attention to what you might have heard or smelled had you been there. Pay attention to what you may have seen or touched. Jesus went for a walk on the beach down by the lake one day. It was one of his favorite spots. The crowds must have known that because they found him, and he started to teach them. But there were so many people. Jesus needed to use the natural space of the beach and the water. So he asked Simon, the fisherman, to put his boat out. Simon owed Jesus a favor because Jesus had recently healed Simon's mother-in-law. Simon and his buddies had been washing their nets, but he put those aside to help Jesus out. 
And Jesus taught people from boat out in the water while Simon kept it from moving away with the current. It was tough work keeping the boat steady, but Simon was a professional. He knew what he was doing. And once Jesus finished teaching, he made a bold request. Simon, let's go fishing. Let's try over there in the deep waters. Simon Peter, that was his full name, was dumbfounded. He and his partners had worked all night when you're supposed to work to catch fish and hadn't caught a thing. He was tired. He was hungry. He wanted to go home, take a shower, then have a nice long nap. We worked really hard last night and caught nothing, Simon said to Jesus. But he went on, because you asked, I'll give it a shot. So Simon Peter maneuvered his boat to the deep water, got his nets out, and began dropping them in the lake. The nets were heavy. They were hundreds of feet long. After Simon Peter had set the nets up, he felt the exhaustion from the night before and now the morning catching up with him. But something strange was happening down in the water. He could see fish swimming around. That was weird. They usually hid during the day. That's why the fishermen fished at night. Hold on, Simon thought. How many fish are down there? And they're all getting caught in the nets. Hey, hey, James, John, get your boat. Get out here. We're catching so many fish. When the other boat arrived, they began to load up the fish. There were so many. They'd never seen so many fish before. Wow, Simon said. The boats are starting to sink. At the sight of the fish, Simon Peter turned to Jesus and fell down before him. Simon was overwhelmed because he knew that this was Jesus' doing. He knew that even with all of his best efforts as a professional fisherman, he could never make a catch like this. Simon became fully aware that Jesus was far more than a teacher. He was Lord. All Simon could think to do was to bow before someone as amazing as Jesus. Simon knew he was totally unworthy in the presence of such power. His sinful self was shockingly evident in the presence of Jesus. Jesus had been enjoying watching the haul of fish. He'd been grinning from ear to ear as the fishermen strained to pull up the fish into the boat. And upon Simon's confession, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. I have plans for you even bigger than this catch of fish. From now on, you will not catch fish that die for us to eat. You will catch people so that they will live. At hearing this, Simon Peter, his friends James and John, left their lives as fishermen and became followers of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to uh, form your discussion groups, and I have a few questions for you that are on the screen. Um, so introduce yourselves if you haven't done that already, and then you can answer, how was that for you? What was that like? What stood out to you in the story? And what questions does this bring up? What questions do you have about the story? I'm going to pray while we get ourselves situated. Holy God, we trust that you speak to us through your written word. 
We trust that you speak to us through your very spirit. So we ask for ears to hear what you have for us this day. Amen. As I spent time in this story the last number of days, I was struck more and more with the power of this text. I'm amazed at how Jesus takes this very ordinary situation of fishing and transforms it not only into a miracle, but into the transformation of three fishermen into disciples. So let's jump in a bit to the text by way of some helpful understanding about the way fish were caught uh, in Jesus's time. This is a trammel net. Trammel nets were the preferred method of fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And actually today, I took this picture from a website where you can go and buy your very own trammel net if you so choose. Um, it's made up of three layers of netting. So it's similar to uh, what would be called like a gill net, but that's only one layer of netting. This has three layers. So you see those larger diamond shapes. Those are each of the outer layers. It's a larger opening. And then that smaller uh, openings is the center layer. And that works so that the fish, when they swim in, they kind of get caught in that first layer and then push through that second layer and out the third, but then they can't really back up. They have nowhere to go. And so it's a really uh, sophisticated, even though 2,000 years ago, uh, who would have imagined we'd still be using that today? Uh, but it works really, really well. So the fish get caught in that inner layer, but they can see these nets during the day. First of all, they are not really awake and around and fishing, or fishing, they don't fish themselves, swimming around during the day. They kind of spend that time chilling out, sleeping. Uh, but they, during the day, if they were swimming around, they can actually see these nets so they could avoid them. That's why uh, they fish at night so that the fish can't even see the netting, plus they're awake. These nets are hundreds of feet long. It takes quite the team of fishermen to drop the nets in, and they weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds. They needed care and cleaning because not only would they catch the fish that they wanted, they'd catch smaller fish that they didn't want that they'd have to throw back or get rid of. They'd pull up uh, seaweed and all kinds of mess, and so those things needed to be cleaned off before the next use. And so this is what the fishermen are doing when Luke tells us that Jesus interrupts them and asks for their help. Now, the boat that Simon Peter and the other fishermen would have been using would have been about 30 feet long and eight feet wide. They actually discovered a boat from first century Palestine that uh, is this size. That's how we know that this is the size of fishing boats at the time. It's quite large uh, and hard to maneuver. So when Jesus asked Peter, or Simon, excuse me, to come out and could you, you know, help me? I'm going to speak from the water, use that natural way that it projects my voice. And Simon's got to actually like keep that boat in place as the currents are trying to move it around. So it's no small task that Jesus is asking of Simon. And we know from Luke 4, which is the chapter just before, that Jesus has already healed Simon's mother-in-law, which depending on how you feel about your mother-in-law may change how, you know, you feel about what Simon is, owes Jesus or not. Um, but once Jesus is done teaching, 
he asks for another favor. This big boat and these big nets, and Jesus has a big ask. Jesus, who's a teacher, formerly a carpenter, not a fisherman, says, let's go fish in the deep water. He doesn't know what he's doing. What could he be up to here? And of course, it ends up being a great miracle. When the abundant catch of fish come in, Simon sees that Jesus is more than a carpenter, more than a teacher. Something shifts in Simon because of this abundant blessing he's seen. The catch of fish is a miracle. It's also a sign. And signs point to things. Signs tell us to look at something we need to pay attention to. And the sign of the abundant catch of fish points Simon to a new understanding of Jesus, an understanding that tells him that this Jesus is able to transform a situation in which something does not even look possible into something amazing. There were zero fish the night before. Nothing had been caught at the time when these professional skilled fishermen should have been able to catch the fish. But Jesus brings in an abundant catch. Simon gets that Jesus is not just a teacher. He goes from calling him teacher in verse 5 to calling him Lord in verse 8. What happened between verses 5 and 8? Simon witnesses the power of King Jesus. He saw the one who would build a kingdom that feeds people, that gives them life. He saw salvation. Notice that Simon's response to Jesus is honest. We fished all night, but because you say so, we'll go back out. He doesn't say, but that's not really how we do things around here. He doesn't say, I'm too tired. He doesn't say, I've tried that before. He says, because you say so. Simon Peter demonstrates a willingness to go out fishing even when there's doubt. He isn't sure about Jesus, but he knows there's something about him. He has a bit of a reputation already, and Simon's curious. Curious enough to get back in the boat and do what Jesus tells him to do. By taking a risk on Jesus, Simon's entire life is transformed. Not only does he witness an incredible miracle of the fish, he submits his own life to follow the one who can bring about such a miracle. And then when he's seen this glorious catch of fish, he knows the work has been done by Jesus. So Simon bows before Christ the king, realizing that he's in the presence of the divine. This often happens in scripture when someone comes to understand their own sinfulness and they're, they're in the presence of the holy. They bow down in recognition. And Simon's words to Jesus are, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Go away. You don't know how bad I've been. You don't know the thoughts I think. You don't know the hurts I've caused. Go away, Lord. Simon essentially is saying, I'm not good enough. How often do you feel that way? I'm not good enough. 
I'm not smart enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. And Jesus' response is, come follow me. I am enough. I love you as you are. Simon's not good enough. He's a sinner. But this is precisely what Jesus wants to give Simon, his love and his forgiveness. Jesus does not demand that we clean ourselves up before coming to him. He comes to us and says, I love you as you are. Even the rough, stinky, tired fishermen. Simon Peter does not have a good resume for following Jesus, but his humility to say, I am a sinner, was the raw material Jesus needed. An author I read uh, said this, Peter feels he has no chance with God, and Jesus shows him that this sense of being less than God and less than holy is precisely what God can work with. Simon, James, and John were not qualified. They didn't have degrees, expertise, mastery. They were fishermen. Jesus' call to Simon is not about his skill. The call is for his life to be one shaped by following Jesus. Jesus, uh, who reverses Simon's priorities and reorders his commitments. Simon's no longer interested in bringing in a huge haul of fish, even though that's what he's just experienced. He's interested now in finding out more about Jesus. And he didn't respond with, but I'm just a fisherman. I don't know how to be a disciple. He responds with a willingness because he knows the one who can bring about a catch like this. This Jesus can do something with a man like Simon. In fact, Simon later becomes known as Peter. Jesus renames him, and Peter means rock. Jesus builds his church on Peter's ministry. We sang that song at the beginning, build my church. And that is exactly what Jesus does with Peter, who becomes this foundation. We see in the book of Acts that, that Peter proclaims the message of the gospel. He's experienced this transformation in his life, and he proclaims this good news to people, and thousands come to believe in the transforming work of Jesus. We too easily believe that we cannot do much for God. And we actually probably write, but with God, with Jesus, we can see lives transformed, our lives, the lives of our neighbors, the lives of our family, the lives of our friends, the lives of our community. There was nothing wrong with the efforts the fishermen had put in all night. They were doing their job. But so that Jesus's power could be revealed, the fish stayed away. So we would know that it is Jesus who brought about the catch. He sent them out in the middle of the day. There are challenges in our individual lives and in our world, and we need Jesus to do something. We need him to be king and make us into kingdom fishermen and fisherwomen who see our own lives transformed and then go work with him in transforming more lives. 
Jesus, of course, came to us as a baby as we celebrated in December at Christmas. He became a man, and even in his ministry, he never stopped going to people. And you know what? When Jesus says to Peter, he says, come follow me, that's the invitation. The promise is, I will make you into fishers, uh, fishers of men. The promise, the gift, Jesus will do the transforming work. Jesus went to the fishermen in their context and called on them to put out into deep waters. And he calls on us in each aspect of our lives to follow him. He calls on us to deeper faith. He calls on us to follow him, to discover more about him and the kingdom he is building. I want to invite you to an exercise that you may or may not have seen before or tried. Uh, this is a painting by a Puerto Rican artist named Jesus Marin. It's called Fishers of Men, obvious connection to our text this morning. Um, so we're going to try something that's a prayerful spiritual exercise called Visio Divina, which simply means uh, divine seeing, divine viewing. Um, this piece based on the text, and we're going to let the art help uh, guide us in prayer. And so I'm going to invite you to look at the painting. Notice what your eye is drawn to. What catches your attention? What catches your attention first? And for now, just try to focus on that part of the painting. allow yourself to look at the whole painting. Take in everything that's going on. Notice as many details as you can. As you continue looking at the painting, notice what you're feeling, what emotions are brought up for you. Maybe you feel annoyed that we're doing this. Maybe you question if it's okay to pray like this. If so, we can talk later. Notice that. Maybe there's another emotion that this painting elicits. Take some time to notice what you're feeling.
Now I invite you to take another minute to bring what you've noticed to God in prayer. Tell God what you noticed, how you felt. We prepare our hearts to approach the table to receive the body and the cup. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I noticed your people in need in the water. I noticed your disciples catching people, saving them. I noticed your pierced hands. I, need, I noticed your presence, Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove. I felt hope from this painting and hope in this story. You call us to follow, and you promise to use us to fill your kingdom boats full of people. May you transform our lives, and may you make of us transformers of the lives of those in our community. You make it so. In your name, amen.